Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nathan. What's good, Nathan? Yo, so question for you. Given that we are a strictly NBA pod, do you think we're what, what's the over under number of times we cover the NCAA tournament over the next two and a half weeks? Because it's starting on Thursday, and I don't think I could know less about what's about to happen. Speak for yourself. My UCLA Bruins sitting nice and pretty in the West region, two seed. They should have been a one seed, but nah. But even even then, I have not paid that much attention to college basketball this year. To be honest, I couldn't tell you anything about favorites upset sleepers i'm the least prepared for march madness brackets this year i feel like i just have to consume a ton of pods and content over the next couple days just to figure out what's going on i i do think that the way they've started it where like it's 64 teams but it's really now like what 68 or 70 or whatever it is they do these 68 so they do this first four the garbage that means you can't even and the fact is they don't even just do it with 16 seeds anymore they do it with like 11 seeds who are obviously like key contenders to win in round one and so you really cannot lock in your bracket until thursday morning so you have like a three-hour window from the last time the game ends on wednesday night you figure out who the actual 64 is to to then picking the whole entire thing at once because 11 beating a six is like commonplace and so you can't just do it ahead of time yeah it can create domino effects too right right i i hate this process it's like why are we doing this either Make the first four part of the tournament picking process or just get rid of it and go back to 64. Like, why is us adding four teams creating that much? Like, what's the purpose of it? I, I don't understand. I don't either. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, your bracket's getting busted regardless of what happens there. So I wouldn't, yes. I wouldn't worry too much about those four games. While that's true, I just want to have something submitted. And if I have like a meeting Thursday morning, all of a sudden I'm just sitting there DIH for three weeks. Like, hey, with another no reason why West Coast, Best Coast, baby. I'm still up when the last game ends, the final four. You know, I'm making my picks Wednesday night. I'm not waiting until Thursday morning. Yeah, but your ass is also in bed by the time the first game tips. <laughs> you're you're in bed earlier than me, so I don't want to hear it. No, I'm saying the next morning because these games start at like 11 <laughs> Central. So it's really 9 Pacific. You haven't even gotten to your first stand up yet. My meeting start at seven, man. I don't know what you're talking about. The other thing that's that's kind of annoying is like, since we're in the participation era of society where everyone wins, they're now talking about expanding it to ninety six teams. You know, I suppose that's good because Virginia Tech are perennial NIT team. They've got to find a way to get Tech in the in the tournament. That's the only way. I mean, that's what will drive ratings. Yeah, exactly. So I, I imagine a lot of this is geared. It's kind of like when they made the bubble play-in to, to give Zion a chance <laughs> yeah, for the Pelicans to get in. Anyone that's, within uh, four games. <laughs> hey, but I'll have you know, the Virginia Tech women's team is a one seed. They're on the one line, first time in program history, first ACC title in program history. That's big. I can't say that I have my ear to the ground on college women's basketball this year, but from what I've heard, uh, South Carolina has just trucked everyone, so we probably – you know, don't have title aspirations, but if we made a Final Four run or something like that, that'd be pretty awesome. Yeah, that would. Um, all right, let's get into the actual purpose of uh, the podcast, which is, of course, the NBA. So last week, we walked through the Western Conference. I feel like so much has changed even from a week ago, right, where we were talking about the MVP race and, you know, it was kind of like, well, Jokic could win, but the other guys have an equal shot. And now all of a sudden, Jokic and the Nuggets have plummeted. They've since lost to the Spurs, the the Nets. They lost again tonight to Toronto. Um, and so it's been a mess all over the place. In the West, we were talking about Phoenix and how unstoppable they were. That was the night that I think KD turned his ankle and turns out he's out for three weeks. And so who knows what's going on. Um, anyway, so we're going to actually flip that over to the Eastern Conference Less exciting, I think, more top heavy, and more of the the clear title favorites, and you know some some nice, cute teams below that. But nonetheless, uh, one big reason for optimism, and one big question that you and I have for each of the top ten teams. So basically, who we think is roughly going to make uh, the playoffs and or the play in tournament. So let's go with your one seed, Milwaukee Bucks. You're up first. Okay, Milwaukee. I'll start with the optimism. Um, granted, they just came off of beating my my Sacramento Kings in a tightly, tightly contested game. Um, this team, I think Brooke Lopez, what he's done this season has been nothing short of, of special. 
Um, <clears throat> he's had a career high in three point percentage. Defensive player of the year worthy campaign. He's leading candidate uh, to get defensive player of the year. Career high in blocks. Top three team defensively. The Bucks are a top three team defensively after being 14th last year. And that is just purely the addition of Lopez back into the lineup because he had that injury last year that kept him out for most of it. So I, I think he really is that ultimate unlock both offensively and defensively for Milwaukee because he can stretch the floor. He can play defense. And when he's on the floor playing the way he is, they're unstoppable. Giannis, it just eases the the pressure on Giannis, and he can roam and do what he does best. And yesterday was the Bucks in prime form. And you saw just Giannis could get anything, drive, and then if they did collapse on Giannis, kick it out to shooters, Lopez manning the paint. This is how they architected the team. And Middleton starting to pick up as well. So I think a lot to be optimistic for them. They're heading into the final stretch looking good. I think the biggest question for me is, will they miss P.J. Tucker and his toughness in the postseason? Now, that's why they got Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder, admittedly, has not looked that great, but he's also getting back into game shape. He missed most of the season. But I wonder, in the playoffs, do they have that other dog to kind of play those tough matchups, to guard wings? And they hope Jay Crowder can be that guy, but it's yet to be seen. So... Yeah, so I think the Lopez piece, I mean, he has been insane this year. It's kind of crazy that Giannis, who a big part of his MVP candidacy is how he's the best defensive player of the three, right? Jokic and Embiid. Embiid's closer to him, but Giannis has clearly been best, the best of the group, yet he's playing next to the favorite for defensive player of the year, right? Like, that's how special the front line has been. And when you, I was just looking at, like, sort of the top contenders in the East, you look at the top four teams, whether it's the Bucks, the Celtics, the Sixers to a lesser extent, and then the Cavs, they really all have twin towers down low of like awesome defensive players. And so I'm really excited to watch Lopez in the playoffs. Like the Bucks have already done this with him, right? They've found a way to make sure that he does not get exploited uh, in the drop coverage. They've actually been mixing it up more this year, and they've been doing a better job limiting three-point shooting. Remember, we've mm-hmm. talked for yep years about the way the Bucks play defense for whatever reason is to you know not give up threes I'm sorry give up a lot of threes and now they're actually going the opposite route where they don't give up threes they're absolutely stifling at the rim and you're actually seeing a team that's playing a lot like almost like the San Antonio Spurs used to play back in the Duncan heydays just funneling people into the middle yep. kind of allowing those shots and so they could certainly lose because of a death by a thousand cuts mid-range monster even if like a tatum and jalen brown get hot but it's just impressive how much they've succeeded on offense and really they're the one seed despite an average offense all year they're 15th right now that's actually improvement from where they were earlier in the year which was kind of lower in those teens and some of that has been middleton their best half court player has been out for most of the season and now that he's playing he's kind of just now starting and sometimes off the bench but I, I look at this team and I'm like, they are firing on all cylinders at the exact right moment. I don't think there's anyone in the league playing better. I don't think there's anyone that they're scared of. And Giannis is the best player in the world. So question marks. I think you had to kind of nitpick to find yeah. PJ Tucker as a potential spot for him. But, you know, for me, that's certainly an option. And then I think the Grayson Allen minutes, right? Like, what are they going to do in the backcourt alongside, you know, Drew, Giannis and Middleton are going to be out there no matter what. Some combination of Portis or Lopez is probably going to join them. And then who's that fifth guy? Javon is it Pat Carter. Connaughton? He, is it Javon Carter? Yeah, they still kind of have a little bit of a hole there. Is it Joe Ingles in spot minutes? But who are you really counting on? And I think if fifth starter is really your biggest question mark, which I think it is for a lot of teams around the league, you're doing okay given how high the top end talent is. Yeah, it's it's hard to – you're pretty much nitpicking with them. Um yeah, I mean, I think for them, the only other thing I'd say is, you, know, you mentioned the stat about, or Lopez, the funneling everything to the rim. You know, there was a stat I saw, I think he contested this year, he's got like contested about 1,100 shots uh, mm-hmm. at the rim. And the next highest is Mobley with 700. So it's like that, That's exactly crazy. what you said. They're fun, that is their pure defensive strategy, funnel everything, and he is doing a good job stopping everything that does come to the rim. Um, so yeah, man, I mean, this, I mean, this was our... I don't know if this was your finals pick in the beginning of the season. It was my finals pick. Um, Mine was Bucks, Bucks, Clippers, Bucks over Clippers. So 
halfway home on at least being <laughs> in the right ballpark. Yep. All right, so maybe we'll go to the Celtics now. You take this one. Question. All right. What's your optimism? So, so for the Celtics, um, let's see. What do I have? Okay. So if they're healthy, which I get is a big hit if with a couple of the guys they have on their bench or in the, in the starting lineup with Rob Williams, I really think that in the playoffs, they're going to have the best defense and the most depth. And so I think that's pretty good formula for success at the top of the, uh, at the top of the East, right? I just think the type of defense they can play. We talked about how good Milwaukee is. I like Boston's versatility in the playoffs just because of their big wings and big guards. They don't have a Grayson Allen type that's in their like core rotation. That's going to be a weakness. So I just love how, how deep they are and how much they're going to compete defensively. The, the, the question mark is really what we've all seen over the last month or two, which is an offense that was, guns blazing literal best in NBA history for the first month or two. And I remember you and I were on this podcast reading off everyone's three point percentages and it was like out of control, completely unsustainable. So how are they going to generate offense when the Jays maybe either are not cooking or having to take a lot of contested jump shots? How are they going to get easy buckets? You know, and Marcus smart looks like a corpse compared to the version we saw last year, the one defensive player of the year. So how long will they ride him versus turning the keys to Derek white? Who's been a much better fit in that lineup. Those are all good questions. Um, I think for me, it's the can they close out the games? Can they close out games? Because the last couple of weeks, they've lost. They lost three games in a row at one point, in which they led by at least fourteen points, and they almost collapsed versus the Cavs, but they they won that game. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Missoula, his coaching at the end, his rotation. This team just seems a lot shakier, and there's less confidence in how they. Finish. And Tatum has been more inconsistent and shaky after being a leading MVP candidate for most of the first half of the season. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, you know, I think they're the one seed is still in play for them. They're two and a half behind Milwaukee, but they get to play them and they own the tiebreaker if they win. So that is a way to shave off a game and you just need to tie them. So um, and I think that matters because if you finish two, you're gonna play Miami. Um and if you play Miami in the first round, that's we already know those battles. Even if Miami loses, it's going to go six, seven. So for them, it's going to be important that they close out strong and potentially go for that one seed and hope Milwaukee stumbles. Yeah, I mean, look, Boston is very much still in title contention. I think they've swooned a little bit here, and people are starting to get a little spooked. But the reality is, this is a team that's still, you know, built for April, May, June and have the experience of having just done that, right? Even last year, they had like a terrible first half before turning it up. Now you could argue you'd rather be playing your best basketball going into the playoffs versus the way that's gone this year. But, you know, in a series, we've seen Tatum drop 46 on the road in Milwaukee in a do-or-die game six, right? We've seen Jalen Brown make huge plays both in conference finals and finals. And we've seen guys like Al Horford step up, Grant Williams. So I just, I'm not worried about them from a standpoint of like are they in trouble for an early exit the caveat being if they play the heat that's going to be a dog fight and a very interesting series but other than that i don't see like the knicks coming in suddenly knocking them off or you know anything like that now the key question as much as you said they're going for the one seed they're only a game up on philly for the two three matchup and so if there's a way and you know philly definitely is going for it right now and we're going to talk about them next if there's a way that philly can get into that two and they get home court in round two versus Boston, that could be the determining factor of finally getting over the hump of the Celtics. Yeah, I think either way it sucks for those teams because 2-3, you're going to have to face each other in the second round. And if you get Miami and then Boston or Philly the second round and then Milwaukee, that's, that's a gauntlet, brutal. man. And and Boston last year went through somewhat of a gauntlet, and I think that's what hurt them against Golden State towards the end of that series. They just could not keep up. Um, yeah. And Tatum kind of broke down right by the end of it. So it it is going to matter that seeding, but you're right. Like, I think everything's just an overreaction. We've been so used to seeing them dominate the last year and a half that um, anytime they go through a mini slump, it, it seems like everything's a lot worse than it is. So they'll be fine. It, it's, it's definitely a, uh, it was unexpected with how hot Boston was that there were, that Milwaukee was going to catch them. Right. It looked like Milwaukee was going to, you know, come out of the gates 
bide their time and make the run in the playoffs. The fact that it's happened in the regular season, suddenly the one seed is, I honestly think like, look, the Bucks are even beating the Suns tonight. Like I think the Bucks are going to go, go for it, get it and, and, and then rest. Yep. All right. Philadelphia. What do you got? All right. Optimism. I mean, Harden, man, he is playing at an incredible level and I think it's the scoring. I mean, his assists and numbers and his passing has been off the charts, but I think where he's finally got back to some of the Houston type Harden is from scoring. And he's now taking advantage of mismatches late in the game. Um, put, you know, beating guys off the dribble, getting to the rim. His three point percentage has climbed every single month. Um, I think in March he's shooting like 43, 44%. So he is rounding into form. And I think when Harden can give you that much offensively, it, it reminds me, it's even a little bit better than early Brooklyn days. You know, early Brooklyn where he was mm. really good. I think he's playing right now even better than that. But this all leads into my question for Philly as well. I worry about fatigue. Embiid and Harden are playing big minutes. And Embiid is still going hard for that MVP. And we know how this story plays out. We've seen it in the yep. postseason. Harden flames out. Embiid flames out. <laughs> And this is not a team that manages minutes well. Doc Rivers isn't good at, you know, like, it's not Steph or Giannis where these guys only play 32 minutes a game. They cruise to wins. They're in dogfights in most of these games. And they're yeah. playing 36, 37, 38, 39 minutes. And I just worry about what that means coming into the postseason. And I still think Philly leans a little too heavily on those guys more than they should. Yeah, look, all the advanced stats basically scream that this is a title contender now, especially the way they've been playing the last two months. You have what I think I'm leaning, and it sounds like maybe you're leaning this way a little bit, and that you have the MVP in Joel Embiid. Obviously, still a lot to be determined, but top two or three finish in that. You have James Harden leading the league in assists, like you said. Fatigue is a factor. We've seen Embiid break down in various strange ways in the playoffs before. The other thing is, like, James Harden, if you remember last year versus Miami, he didn't shoot in that final game six in the second half. And he was like, well, the ball just never came back to me. And that type of strange attitude that's like, is this guy, like, <laughs> does he go from being one of the, like, 20 greatest players of all time on one night to just totally absent? Like, he doesn't know that he's in the NBA the next. And, you know, if they're down 3-2 to Boston and suddenly the crowd's going crazy, there's all these, like, rumors swirling that he's going to go to Houston. Like, how is he going to respond to that? I think is the biggest question. And really, Embiid, while I don't question his um, intensity, I think he'll always bring it. Two things have slowed him down in the playoffs. One is the fatigue, like you mentioned. And let's call injuries, kind of freak injuries, a, a bucket to the side, because I don't know that you can say that that's like a trend more than just a number of bad uh, instances of luck. But the other thing is, he struggles to score out of the post in the same way that he does in the regular season because teams collapse on him. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're swiping down on him. They're calling less fouls to his credit. He is one of the greatest offensive repertoires, like what he's put together that I've seen in a long, long time. Like his bag is as deep as any big man, maybe in NBA history, right. With the way, the number of things he can do both in the post as well as outside mid range, et cetera. So I'm just curious to see how he responds to, you know, getting double team sent or he doesn't always have to start in the low block. He can start at the nail. He can start at the top of the key. I think it's going to be fascinating to watch. And then you throw in the Doc Rivers factor, which is a true question mark as far as like, is he going to screw things up? Is he going to panic and lose another 3-1 lead like he's done more than any coach in NBA history? It's not the guy you want leading the ship with with a bunch of sort of like up and down stars. But, you know, it's set up for them, especially if they can get the two seed. They're going to have they're going to be favored versus, you know, the, in round one, especially if they play like Atlanta, obviously, or if you know the Nets fall down to seven. And then versus the Celtics, they'll have the home court advantage. There's no excuses. You're right. There are no excuses. Um, but like you mentioned, there's a lot of shaky pieces to it, and it just takes a couple of those to not pan out and things can come crumbling. I actually – I am I think they're going to be fine this year. They're, the problem is – you're going to play Boston second round. And it, that's just a really tough matchup. And I, even if you get past Boston, you have to play Milwaukee. It is just so top heavy in the East that they can be a finals contender and still not make it to the conference finals. So for them, you just got to hope things break. You get a couple breaks. You, you can trust that Embiid 
he's been good in the clutch. He can carry you to the end. And this is if if it doesn't happen this year, when is it going to happen? That's the problem. This is this right. is their team, right? They've this is a put up or shut up year. Yeah, there's a world in which Harden's in Houston and Embiid's been traded to the Knicks this summer. So let's talk about Houston real quick. Like how I still can't believe that this is still a thing, and and there must be legs to the story because. It's been reiterated. I mean, even Woj put times. it out there, right? It wasn't yeah. even just like random beat reports. But it just makes no. I don't care how much he loves Houston. I I don't understand why he would consider going back. Yeah, especially if he hasn't gotten to the top of the mountain, right? Um, because at the end of the day, if he had won a title at some point along the way, and he's just like, "Look, that's my most enjoyable basketball scenario, my most enjoyed life scenario." All power to him. The fact that he hasn't won a title. And he's clearly interested in doing so, but you know, by asking out of two different situations to get to a point where he can maximize his title chances, it would be extremely strange if he went back to a shitty Houston team that has you know piss poor infrastructure and loses a thousand games a year. I mean, but the guy, the guy must just love the nightlife to the extent, or maybe his family likes it down there. I don't know what's going on, but uh, you know, I'm family. not sure he's. What family? Yeah, I don't think he's like exactly looking at private school ratings and things like that. So, um, it's 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 a mystery to me. Um, I still don't expect it to happen because it would just be too. I don't know that we'd ever have a situation like that, right? It was almost like, um, you know, I'm trying to think of an, even like an NFL equivalent of like a player just claiming he's about winning and then just cashing out, but. I'm sure there are one. There are many examples that I can't think of, but oh, there are. They're on the tip of my tongue. Yeah, I, you know, I was thinking about JJ Watt, who was like, "I want to win a championship," then signed with the Cardinals. But then the Cardinals actually ended up winning the division that year, so that doesn't exactly count. Randy um, Moss going to the Raiders. Yeah, that's not after bad. the Patriots. No, he went before, and after. I think actually, I don't remember. He went before. Oh, maybe, but before. nonetheless, you're right. Okay. <laughs> um. So yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, we'll 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 see. So, all right, number four, Cleveland. Let's see. I love how good their big men are playing. Uh, specifically, Evan Mobley. I think he's starting to take a little bit of a mini offensive leap, and he's looking a lot more comfortable. Um, interestingly, and maybe this wouldn't jump off the page, but they actually have the number one net rating in the whole NBA, uh, and they're number two defensively. Uh, so they're top 10 offensively. So they're really putting together a well-balanced team. The problem with them is they have the reverse issue of the Kings. The Kings are really good in clutch, and the Cavs just turn into a total mess. And some of that's on Donovan Mitchell. Some of that's been on you know Darius Garland maybe should be more aggressive or they should find a way to set you know run a little bit more offense versus a lot of ISO. And the problem with the two-star guard backcourt is a lot of guys like to just run ISO. And when you have two guys who do that, we've seen this, whether it's in Atlanta right now, whether it's with you know James Harden and Russell Westbrook, whether it's like even Kyrie and Harden in Brooklyn, like the your turn, my turn thing can only work to some degree. And I don't think it's working in Cleveland late game. Those are two small guards that are a little bit easier to defend. And they're not empowering their bigs enough, nor is Jared Allen or really even like another wing good enough to create on their own. And that's the question. It's like late game shot creation. Where is it going to come from? We've seen Mitchell do it in the playoffs, but we've also seen him be quite inefficient in multiple playoff series. And I, I worry that's going to be kind of next up for, for this team in round one versus a pretty frisky Knicks team. The funny thing is they remind me a lot of the jazz, not just because Mitchell played in the jazz, but elite offensive defensive team net rating off the charts. You have a good defensive big man, Donovan Mitchell leads you in scoring. But they're that one contender who you're not scared of. Like, I don't know. Whenever I watch these teams, when you watch Boston, when you watch Milwaukee, when you watch even Denver, looks more dangerous down the stretch and looks like a team that's really hard to beat. Cleveland does not scare me like that. And they should, given they've got, like you said, the elite defense. They've got uh, a clutch player in Donovan Mitchell or someone who has shown he can be clutch. I don't know how well he's really done this year. Um, but actually my question is I don't trust their bench either. Now they're actually one of the better performing units in the league by a lot of metrics. Um, but they're playing guys like Dean Wade, Chetty Osman, Lamar Stevens, Kevin Love's not there anymore. Rubio. None of those guys inspire confidence. And I think their eight man rotation will be interesting to see in the playoffs. 
And so to me, you know, I they're they're great. I just don't know if this is a year where they're they're really a tier below those other contenders. And so, like you said, the Knicks could give them trouble even in the first round. So despite their success this year, I don't think things look that rosy for them. Until maybe you know next year, this is the first year with that team, so um, maybe the it, expectations it, aren't that high to begin with. The one thing I'll say is if they do draw the Knicks round one, which is sort of how it's trending right now, I do like that matchup for them only because they have the length to give Randall fits. And as we saw in past playoff performances, Randall just shoots through everything. And there's a world in which he just goes like six of 21 every game because he's just trying to get through their long arms and the switches and the whole deal. At the same time, I think Brunson will absolutely cook that backcourt. So it's kind of a question of like, what's going to win out? Are they going to let Brunson kind of run the show? Or are they going to put more offense to Randall? Because some of the Knicks issues around, you know, Randall's been incredible this year, but some of their issues is when they get too stagnant with him, yep. just kind of letting him go one-on-one every play. Yeah. Um, so, all right. Next up is the Knicks. Why don't you go ahead? So that's a perfect transition because – um, actually, I'll get to the optimism first. Always start off positive. They oh, have a uh, really soft stretch to close out the season, and I think they can potentially grab the four spot. So they got a cupcake schedule. Brunson, hopefully, he gets back soon. He's been dealing with that injury. Um, but the question is, I feel like Julius Randle has fallen back into a lot of bad habits, and He's been so good this year, but these last stretch of games, especially with... It could just be a product of not having Brunson on the floor, but he's been reckless offensively in the shot type, the, the shot creation, the, um, you know, when he chooses to, to even get back on defense. This reminds me of the Julius Randle of last year when all this season he's been playing complete opposite of that. So my worry for them is, is he falling back into bad habits? Does that persist or is it just a product of Brunson being injured and kind of on and off the floor recently? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, look, I think that's part of it, right? Like one of the reasons that they were so bad last year, specifically Randall took such a step back is he lost any semblance of like point guard play quickly kind of got buried. Derek Rose became washed and the whole deal just sort of fell apart. Right. You didn't really have any advancement. In fact, you had a worse seasons from Evan Fournier, a step back from RJ Barrett. So basically everyone got worse and Randall got worse too, but his share stayed the same. I do think it's a lot to do with Brunson being on the court or not. Like I'm kind of at a point where I trust Brunson so much that I don't think that if he's out there, that they're going to fall apart for too many possessions in a row. Because even if you look at the times that they have had to get late game shots, yeah, they, they end up like running a pick and roll and getting Randall the ball out behind the three-point line. And I hate that play, right? <laughs> yeah. It did work versus Miami. But a lot of times Brunson will create, he'll draw contact, he'll draw fouls, he'll kick out. And I think the other thing that helps is I love the way RJ Barrett's been playing lately. He is limited. He's inefficient. I get all the negatives about him, but I just feel like he's playing a little bit more confidently. And so if the ball swings to him, he can also create a play, not just having Randall and Brunson do everything. Because as far as two-man combinations go, while they have been playing outstanding and above their capability, I would say, this year or their expectation, if you had to rank two-man combos, they they finish a clear, you know, fifth out of the top five teams. Um, and, and it's, and it's you know, I wouldn't say it's not close. I think they're close to Cleveland, but I just trust Cleveland more in the playoffs than I, than I do because we've seen it from Randall before where he's falling apart versus Atlanta. But, but they're built, they're built big, man. They're big. They're tough. Josh Hart has been awesome. Mitchell Robinson's been like, they'll be a tough team in the playoffs regardless. I agree. Maybe the Randall's a little bit of an overreaction on my part, but I've just watched the last couple of Knicks games and it's just it, the pouting, the, the, the shots he's taking. I get that they have to rely on him more for shot creation without Brunson on the floor, but it seems that he's just falling back into these bad habits, but maybe that's overstated. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. Like, they won, what was it, nine or ten straight. Then they lost a couple. You know, had a really nice win on Sunday versus the Lakers where Randall was absolutely on fire. So some of it is like you live and die by his ability to make shots, and maybe they just have to go down that way, and they'll see if that happens in the playoffs. But again, I have my doubts given he's going to face a lot of Mobley, a lot of Allen, 
it's going to be tough sledding for him to get good open looks. It's, a, it's been a fun series, though, dude. And the other thing is, this is the team that was getting chastised for not acquiring uh, Donovan Mitchell. You look at the standings, and right now they're literally you know, just a couple games back. Actually, Brooklyn's technically fifth right now. I guess we should have done them first. But they're just a few games back of Cleveland without having made the Mitchell trade, which means they have all of the picks still in the reserves to go get a next star. Yep. Uh, they used one for Josh Hart, obviously, which was a great acquisition. He's brought a ton of balance to the team and to the second unit. But they still have, I think, seven first-rounders under their control, four of their own, plus three of other teams. They still have R.J. Barrett if they want to use him for a move. They have Sally with Evan Fournier and some other guys, Mitchell Robinson, if needed. So they still have one more move to make. I don't know if that's a Carl Anthony Towns. I don't know if that's a you know Hail Mary attempt at, at uh, Joel Embiid or something like that. But I think they can continue to build off of this, knowing Randall and Brunson are stabilizing forces in the middle of that lineup. Absolutely, yeah. It might be a blessing in disguise, like you said, that they didn't get Mitchell. Um, more flexibility. You, I'm going to see him on Saturday, right? Versus the, versus the just decimated Nuggets who can't buy a basket right now. <laughs> Nick's probably going to be favored in that game, honestly. At this point, yeah. It looks like it. Anyway. All right, so the next up is the Brooklyn Nets. They did lose tonight, so they lost to, to Oklahoma City. Let's see where they're at right now. So they're 39 and 30. I think that team got off to such an incredible start with Duran and Kyrie that it was even after the trade that looked like they were going to stay, be able to stay in the top six. They just had enough of a cushion. And, you know, this is a fascinating roster, probably the strangest roster in the league when you just think about how many wings they have. Like a lot of good wings just don't even get on the court now because there's not enough minutes to go around. Um, yeah, optimism, it's Mikhail Bridges. He he went from 19% usage to 28% in Brooklyn, and all he's done is increased basically every uh, productivity and efficiency measure across the board. You could call it a hot start, but he's been shooting close to 50, 40, 90 all season, first in Phoenix, now Brooklyn. The fact that he's not tailed off and only improved with the bigger load shows me that he's got a level to his game that I just didn't expect at all. And I'm not putting this out there to say he's like a future MVP or anything, but it reminds me a little bit of the James Harden trade where part of the calculus was being cheap on on not paying him, but part of it was like they just didn't think he was going to be that good. Um, they certainly didn't think they were trading a future MVP and multiple first-time All-NBA guy, first-team All-NBA guy. I don't think Bridges has that ceiling, but it feels similar in that not that you wouldn't include him in a Durant trade, but maybe you didn't recognize what he could do with a bigger role. And it's really to be like a, a you know, a one or, or, or very close to a, a you know, top guy on a, on a team that is producing. Um, the, the, the question is less of a question. It's more of a reality is that these guys just don't have the guns to, to, to really beat anyone round one. It's been a fun story. I'm glad they are going to make the playoffs despite Kyrie and KD just like, putting dynamite into the into the roster but they're going to be a quick out i think 4-1 is my prediction for for whoever they play round one yeah they're, they're back to that nets the old nets of um d'angelo russell and uh what was that nets team yeah, all level uh, joe harris joe they harris. had jared dudley they Spencer play hard they're competitive their bench mob is lively they're all good vibes off the court but ultimately they're not going anywhere uh the Houston trade, why does it remind you of the Houston trade? I Just that I think those. Oklahoma City gave up. I'm talking about the Oklahoma City-Houston trade. Oh, got it, got it. Like okay. Harden in 2012. Yep. Not saying that Bridges had Harden ceiling, but I don't think they would have traded him if they had any sense of how good Harden was. And to me, it struck me as similar. It's like a guy who's way better than maybe we thought in a role that we previously expected him to expected to be too much for him. And that hasn't proven to be the case, at least yet. Now, the sample size is small. Here's a better comp, in my opinion. It's the SGA Paul George trade. Because mm, you yeah, give up a young good. player with a lot of picks, and there's promising young that's player, good. but you don't realize how good he's actually going to end up being. Um, but you're, you're, you're right. Mikel Bridges, I didn't expect him to be. In, in Phoenix, you know, there were opportunities with injuries where he got kind of thrust into the lead score role, you know, game to game. And he didn't, you know, he's a guy who could score 20, 25, but he never struck me as a guy who could be a number one scorer. So I'll admit, I was very surprised with how well he's been playing. Um, And it's rare. It's rare to get a young player on top of all the draft picks. Like immediately the way you look at it is they got what three, 
three or four picks plus Mikel Bridges. Yeah, they got four picks, a swap, Bridges and Cam Johnson and, you can and Jay Crowder. Mikel Bridges and Cam Johnson for at least a combined what? Four picks? First yeah, rounders? I mean, Bridges himself was apparently offered. Someone offered four first for him. Four first. At the very least, three and one for Cam Johnson, maybe. Yeah. Like, that's insane. Like, the fact that Brooklyn came out of this entire drama with some good wings, some good pieces to build around, I think is is absolutely incredible. Now, the biggest question for me, though, is we talk about that trade working out well. The one trade that did not work out as well is Ben Simmons. And I... Totally forgot about that guy. The spotlight, you know, like, he doesn't even have the pressure on him. There's no spotlight. But there's no timetable for his return from injury. And I'm just wondering, like, what do you do with him moving forward? Is this... He's... Is he a tradable asset? Can a team take a chance on him again and you flip him? Do you ride with him as part of your core? I don't know what to do with Ben Simmons. And I don't know. Yeah, it's just such a weird situation, once again, that we're we're left wondering what this guy could be. I don't think he's tradable because he's just owed too much money. If it was an expiring, maybe you could argue that you could get something. But I think he's still got two years left after this one. So... And by all accounts, he's if that last year is a player option, which I think it is, he's probably going to pick it up. Let's let's be real with that, right? So, yeah, I think he has two years left after this, so he's basically owed like another seventy to seventy-five million, and he's a veteran minimum player. So, I tweeted this the other day; it would be an unprecedented move, but I'm almost wondering if the Nets just don't buy him out hmm. because. You're at a point where he's a zero on the roster. He never plays. When he does play, he's ineffective. For some reason, this is the type of team you would expect to be the best with a guy like Ben Simmons, yeah. who can get down the downhill, create shooters all galore. Like you can and there's play no small. pressure. Can, there's no pressure, and he just won't show up. And when he does, he plays passively. He's done. I mean, he's mentally cooked. The only way this can recover is true, true, just like a, a, you know, uh, oblivion, like a San Antonio or or net not even Orlando, because they're kind of ready to take the next step. Uh, San Antonio or maybe um, in Indiana to some degree. Um, I don't I don't know. Like, there's not many situations because there's not many teams. Houston, potentially, right? Like, those are the types of places you have to think about. Most of the teams that have been bad are sort of ready to win now, no. uh, Oklahoma City, including them. It's, it's sad to watch. It's hard to watch. Um, the other thing is, like, it's prohibiting him from making certain trades, right? Because you can't trade for a designated player guy because he is one uh, designated rookie extension guy. Cause he's one. You can only trade for one player on your roster. That was a big holdup in the Durant deals. And so I think it limits your roster. There's almost no upside he offers and it, you, you kind of just have to say, we, we F this one up badly. Yeah. yeah it's uh it's a shame that that's one that they definitely <laughs> did not win. was not on the winning side of, but no. Um, all right, let's yeah. go next. It's we got the heat. Yep. All right, so this one's mine. Um Optimism. Well look, Jimmy Butler uh has been as good as ever, especially in the clutch. They play they're one of the teams that play the most clutch minutes. Every game they're in comes down to the end, and for the most part, Jimmy Butler has been good. Um now the rest of the team has let him down a lot of times. That's why they're still flirting with five hundred, but I think what we've seen in the playoffs, what we've seen in the last couple seasons, there's no reason to think that won't carry over again and give them a chance in round one, round two, just by being Spolstra coached, Jimmy Butler, bam, they're good enough. Now, I think the the real question for them and the story that's really been the case all season, um, well, one, everyone's talked about the demise of the three-point shot, right? This is one of the better three-point shooting teams in the league. That's fallen off. But their defense has been trending down. And they, uh, this is a team that made their bones on defense. Um, started off well, but post All Star break, 22nd in defensive rating. They're not getting the stops they used to get. They're struggling down the stretch to get the stops they typically would get. And so, this, this idea of the Heat team we've had from the last years is they'll get into these dog fights, they'll grind you down in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure this unit is as capable of that as they were in the past. So to me, that's the biggest question mark and the biggest concern with them. Um, even if Jimmy balls out and, and they continue to kind of 
try to play that upset role. Yeah, it's, this one's a weird one, man. Like, they just have not been able to truly click all year. And now that they have a healthy butler who, like you said, is playing really well, they're still not necessarily turning the corner and starting to just, like, rip off, like, 8 out of 10 or anything like that. And this comes back to, like, I think something I've been saying at least all year is that they never added anything. They took a pretty shallow team that was very top-heavy and stripped it of even more role players, right? when they lost P.J. Tucker. So you're relying on guys who are just not doing it. And plus, oh, lo and behold, dudes like Gabe Benson and Max Struess suddenly are not shooting out of their ass. Like, they're coming coming back to earth a little bit. Uh, Kyle Lowry has been, you know, I think he's been hurt, but he was obviously terrible when he played. Um, and Bam, I'm always left wanting more with Bam. When I do these player rankings – you know, for fun, I always put Bam, I think, higher than he probably deserves to be because he's so good defensively. And when he's clicking offensively, he's a really dynamic player. But then you watch the uh, the Heat play, and it's Jimmy, then it's Hero, then it's Bam in the pecking order. And it's not that Bam's not getting the ball when he's open or things like that. He's just passive. Um, like, he has the skill set to go be a 25-10 and 10 guy, and I, I believe that. But he's just – he doesn't want the ball always. He's not very comfortable, like – creating in, in the paint he obviously can't shoot the three so I, I just can't tell what's going on because on one hand I'm like all right well playoff start Jimmy's gonna lock in and suddenly this thing is gonna they're gonna be in round two up three two and we're gonna be wondering why the hell we had discounted the heat I could also see them going like the way they went uh the year after the bubble when they got swept by Milwaukee in round one and you know it looked like that era was dead so I'm interested to see this may be a down year where they spend some time recouping especially if they draw, you know, they're going to end up probably playing the Celtics or Sixers round one, or maybe even the Bucks. I just don't see them beating any of those three teams. Yeah. This does feel like a team that kind of just <clears throat> alternates good and bad years, um, which they've done mm-hmm. the last three years. Um, yeah. Bam, man. He's, I don't understand. I, look, Bam is a little undersized, right? He's not your big hulking center, but I don't know why they, he's, he's a decent passer. He's got offensive skills. Like, okay, he's no Sabonis, but why can't they use him as more of an offensive kind of Swiss Army knife? Like, like a fulcrum of the offense. And the fulcrum, like yeah, but it's mainly, post. like you said, it's desire. It's the way he plays. It, I don't think it's even for lack of trying because he'd have tried to feature him in, in a bigger scoring role. And I just think that's not his game. So it is disappointing. We've been, we always hold Bam in a high regard. But look, let's be honest about it. It's been four years that he's kind of been the version we see today, right? I mean, he's yep. gotten better, but. He hasn't taken major leaps in this game that make you think of him as like a top five big. So that that part's been a little disappointing. But um, but yeah, man, I, the Heat. I just I need them to do something. This is such a boring. I'm tired of this team. I need them to shake things up. I need them to do what the Heat typically do. You know, somehow yeah. get another star, make some big moves. This is this roster is depressing. I'm tired of it too. I want to see something different, and I want to see it like. I think, you know, in the in the spreads thread, we've talked a lot about could Jimmy Butler be that guy in New York, right, to, to be exchanged for all the, ban- you know, Barrett and Picks package. Now, that would be special, right? You put Butler, who's got a flair for the dramatic, who's like an excellent playoff player, and you put him in that ecosystem. Ooh, that could man. really work, right? Who or, would Knicks fans love more than Jimmy Butler? Jimmy, yeah, he feels he like would such be a god. Player. He would be a god to that. Reunited scene. with Tibbs. Yep. And so it's like, okay, is that the spot for him? Or do you send Bam somewhere and try to bring in a little bit more veteran? Like, I don't know what it is. Like, do you need more juice offensively? So do you send Bam in a trade for, like, Cat, right? Or or something like that. I don't know. I'm just kind of spitballing. Or, like, is it do you send Bam to Phoenix, bring back DeAndre Ayton and picks? But they just sent out all their picks. I, I'm just trying to think about, like, where it would work. Or, or does OKC go all in and say, hey, we'll, re- we'll you know, he decide they want to rebuild, but they, they cash in bam for all these picks or Butler or whatever it is. And suddenly you have like a different makeup of this team building around like a little bit younger of a core. Um, and so I think there's a lot of ways they can go, but if they get dumped round one in, in like a, you know, sort of unceremonious fashion, I think Pat Riley is never will guide to like wait too long to make moves. He's getting old, man. Uh, he's patience. I don't think he's going to want to go through another rebuild. They never do that anyway, but I don't think now is the so time. They're old. He may not know him. what's going on right now with the team. He he might not be aware that they're floundering. <laughs> That's true. Um, okay, let's let's speed through these last few because right. they're not very exciting. You got the Hawks. Hawks. 
I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> I thought that this was going to work a little bit better than it has, uh, meaning the DeJounte Murray Trey Young pairing. They gave up three unprotected firsts. And I think they're going to be good enough where those picks are not going to come back to bite them in the ass. Like, assuming they can re sign um, Murray, I'm sure they're going to hover around 500 or, you know, be maybe a little bit better than that every now and then. They quit on another coach in the Trey Young era. I think this is up to three now. Um, and they just, I guess the, the or I should start the reason optimism, they're playing a little bit better together. I thought Trey has been playing better in the second half of the season. But you look at it and you're like, I just don't know that. Uh, first of all, the defense is a wreck. It's been a wreck every year that Trey's been playing. <sighs> I don't know what you do with him. He's <laughs> a strange franchise player. They have a super max contract in place with him and, they're probably going to give DeJounte the max and we're going to get another summer of John Collins trade rumors. And I don't know how, how this, uh, this Ferris wheel ends. Yeah. They're, they're kind of just painting themselves into a corner. Um, Quinn Snyder, I mean, optimism, Hey, Quinn Snyder seems to be paying dividends, but I, we've seen this with Trey, but they're, I mean, they're okay with him. They're not, I mean, they're like 500 with them. I, I mean, their know. offense is like, much better um yeah it's back to like i mean their offense used to be really good this year it struggled now it's back to uh trey's happy uh he had a quote recently about how he likes quinn snyder but i was gonna say we've seen this happen before new coach he's happy they're clicking and then it all falls apart eventually um Mm -hmm. yeah man this team you know uh reminds me a little bit of you're not gonna like this Oh, the Washington Wizards, yeah, because totally and, and right. not there's not at all in terms of the play style or anything, but you kind of lock yourself into Wall, you lock yourself into Beal. They're talented, they're good, but you don't have much they're flexibility outside of that, and you're not going anywhere with that lineup. And eventually, you kind of just it just fades into mediocrity, right? Wall got injured, granted, right, and Beal was good, but I the same thing, like you said, DeJounte Murray, Trey, they seem committed. They're going to pay this backcourt a lot of money, but it's not going to get them anywhere, I don't think so. So, And I think the worst thing you can do is commit to a backcourt. Yeah. Like, that's what the Wizards did, to your point. Back to the Knicks point, that's what they were going to do with Mitchell and Brunson, and they were probably like, those two guys aren't good enough to be the two highest-paid players on the team. Right. And so even in Cleveland, that's a question, but you have Mobley at least, right? So you have to have someone else. And the Hawks don't really have any interesting players, meaning star level players on that roster. DeAndre Hunter is a role player. Somehow he got $90 million. Capella is a role player. He got 80 million. John Collins is a role player. He got 100 plus million. So they have all these deals. Bogdanovich is a role player. He got 70. Um, they traded Herder to try to create, up, create some space. That to looks pay, so to bad Murray. for them. Right, and it's like, okay, so you have a bunch of players who all top out as good supporting cast. You got two guards who are not in the top 30 in the NBA right now in terms of player ranks, I would say, or maybe Trey is in that 20s range, but no higher than that. Where are you going, and how do you change? How do you get out of this mess? Um, Just want to put some respect on the Wizards' name. They won three playoff series with that (laughs) core, four appearances in total. Let's wait to see what the Hawks' resume is before we compare them to the House of Guards. So, okay, here's another similarity. Now, they didn't have DeJounte back then, but the Hawks keep living off of that Western Conference Finals appearance. Um, was it, or Eastern Conference, was it Finals? Yeah, or was it they semifinals? Finals, they got further than... Yeah, than they the keep Wizards living did. off of that appearance, just like your Wizards live off your second-round appearance against the Celtics that keeps getting talked about as, oh, but they got this far, they got this far, but it's like, okay, <laughs> Games. it's a product of circumstance, and ultimately that was the farthest they got. So Game six versus Boston. Never forget when we jumped on the table and then lost the series. That I'll, the, no, the thing I'll never forget is showing up in all black. The funeral. Yeah, <laughs> the funeral. Let's send them home. Um, All right. What, who do you got next? Okay, you got the Raptors. Another team that I'm... Uh, I didn't have much optimism for them. Um, Mike, I have a lot of questions. I think this is a team that it was surprising they didn't make a move at the deadline. Uh, a, a significant move. Instead, they, they traded for Jakob Pertl. Um, their defense 
similar to what I said about the Heat, their defense has really fallen off. They're second to last in effective field goal percentage. Only the Spurs have a worse, you know, in terms of the percentage of shots um, given up. The optimism for them is really the Pirtle trade was a good move uh, in a vacuum. He's been really good for them. He's been mm-hmm. he's helped their offense. Their offense had would get stagnant. It would be Van Vliet and Siakam just taking turns. And I think they're playing out of Pirtle a lot more. It's given yep. them more fluidity. They beat the Nuggets tonight, although the Nuggets haven't been able to beat anyone recently. So they're they're playing better, but at the same time, it's Nick Nurse is coaching a little desperately, in my opinion. Like he's playing these guys such heavy minutes, and when coaches start doing that, like starts ramping up the minutes for all their starters, it's. I remember when uh, Luke Walton did that with the Kings. When it's like nothing's working, let me just squeeze the juice out of all my best players and and hope yep. that results in more wins. Um, and it seems like that's what the Raptors are doing. But I don't know, man. Like like we've talked about this. Scotty Barnes did not take a leap. On paper, they've got long, rangy wings, but clearly it's not translating to like a very good defensive team. They get a lot of deflections, but um, so I don't know where this team's going, and, and I don't know if the offseason if they should try to get off Siakam, flip him for picks, if they can get off any of these other guys. Um, they had a golden opportunity to try to go for Durant, and they missed it. So I don't know what they do now. I think once they chose not to go for Durant, I think I really would have flipped OG and. Probably Van Vliet. And I just don't know why they didn't do that. Especially Van Vliet, who's a free agent this summer and is supposed to be commanding big dollars from teams like Orlando. I just think that that would have been the smart move versus letting Asa potentially walk for nothing. Um, and then with Siakam, he's made two straight All-NBA teams. He was off to an amazing start this year and actually has, I think, cooled off quite a bit mm-hmm. recently. Um, maybe with Pirtles mucking up the... You know, the uh, the spacing a little bit and things like that. So I think, I think, I don't know where they, where they go. They, like I trust Masai. He obviously was able to build a, um, you know, build a championship team out of, out of nothing. But I also think that he had a little bit of, you know, he got Kawhi Leonard who was coming off of a nine game season. So he got him for much less than what, you know, the standard prices would be, would be for a superstar like that. And I think it's going to be really interesting, I guess, to see how they, take the next step because i don't see how they right now they go from nine to three um and that's really what they need to do to be in title contention with this core again now they could have a certainly a nice season next year they could finish six be like a tough round one out but i'm not sure that's what messiah is playing for um at the same time he doesn't also didn't seem like he was looking to make moves that would uh create a, a a title window um so Something to keep an eye out for. The only thing I wrote down about them is um, Barnes has played a little bit better of late. Um, Maybe he had a rookie wall early or second sophomore slump early and starting to come into his own, but it's hard when nobody on that team can shoot. I mean, even Fred Van Vliet, who's an alleged shooter, is under 40% from the field. So without any sort of spacing, it's hard to get room, and they need to just rearrange at least the pieces that they have, even if they want to stay competitive. Yeah, Bar- Barnes is young, so you're right. Can't be too hard on him. But I, I just think that they had – this is a team that seemed flush with assets or valuable players who you could flip with picks. I wanted them to do something, and it was just weird that you make a kind of fringe – like you, you make a move to improve on the margins with Pirtle, but Masai is known for taking swings, and he's not afraid to do that. And So it's just a very confusing team to me. Um, yeah. But – um, okay, lastly, the Wizards. Let's be really, really quick here because I don't want to talk about this team. And honestly, I don't even know if they're still 10th or if the Bulls have passed them. Who knows? But both the Bills and the Wizards are really too depressing to spend much time on. I'd say with the Wizards, the optimism is Porzingis has been way better than advertised. I think everyone just penciled him in for like 40 missed games a year. He's played 70 games, close to 70 games. He's he's healthy. He's uh, looks great. He's had some really big nights, like 40, 45-point nights that look like back to the Knicks days pre-ACL. And I think he's rebuilt his value in a lot of ways. Like, you think about the trade. We got him for Bertons and Dinwiddie and no (laughs) picks. So just that trade was a great one in in a vacuum. And I hope we actually build around him more than we do Beal or Kuzma, which I think are both negative assets and will be on Kuz for sure on his next deal. 
reason for pessimism, a big question, I guess I would call it is, you know, Beal is in year one of a supermax and he's already transitioning to like the fading star version of his career, right? Where he's really, really good some nights. He can't really get to fifth gear every night. And you watch a guy like Giannis, for example, who's just physically dominant and and goes hard all the time. Granted, Beal's not Giannis's archetype, but I just mean in general, like guys who can dominate every game they play. Beal used to do that to some degree, at least scoring the basketball. He's not even able to do that yet, and I don't know if it's because his body's breaking down in year 12 or other reasons that would make this pretty concerning that we have four more years at $200 million left on the clock. It's a disaster. Absolute disaster. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's actually impressive how, look, on paper, you're right, Porzingis has been amazing. Beal's still on paper town, very talented. And Kuzma's been great. And you're still, what, fighting outside the play-in in the East? Right. 11th seed. Uh, and, and I think your biggest problem is that even if Porzingis rebuilds his value, so what? I think the organization's committed to keeping a winning core together, a core that they believe can win. And I don't think you're going to flip Porzingis for a piece that's going to help move that needle. So I think, now, you know, you're stuck with this, this group. And... Uh, it's depressing, man. Man, I didn't think I. You know, I used to hate the Kings for being bad for so many years, but this is a new level of depressing where you're just literally that outside the play-in range with no big draft pick, big money committed to stars who are falling out or tier know, two, tier three guys. Yeah, it is. I, you don't need me to tell them. This is you know you know what hell you live in, but it's just it's too funny. It's too funny I every mean, time I look a... at them playing games and trying so hard just to get into that 10th spot. There's a real world in which by this time next year, we're paying over a hundred million dollars for the three of them combined per year. Yeah. Cause Kuz will get what he'll get 25 to 30 25. is what they're talking about. Porzingis actually has a player option. So he could opt out, even though he's making 35, he could opt out, maybe take a slightly less number per year, but for longer year duration, and then again, as good as he's been, you're counting on health for a sustained period of time from him. So let me ask you this: Is there anything that keeps any of these guys in DC besides the money? Is there any like, oh, I love the city, or I love the fact that it's, you know, I don't know. I think it's the Wizards have a very low bar for what is required to get rewarded on new deals, and they always take care of their players, but they don't do so in a way that somehow gives us good goodwill around the league. It's just almost like. Wow, agents probably think about like, well, wow, we took advantage of the Wizards again, right? <laughs> like, I think the environment playing there is probably not that great. The city, the fans aren't that great, but it's kind of like, well, this is where we can cash out. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think we are so committed to building a competitive roster, we don't realize that we are the joke now of what competitive in quotes means. Oh, yeah. Where we're yeah. okay, but not good, and we're not bad either. 20 now, years ago. We may- you make more fun of the team that's 10 and 72. Now that team looks intelligent. Exactly. You look like idiots, right? That's just how things are. Yeah. So, I mean, look, we could still lose our way to the sixth worst odds. If you look at our sixth best odds, I should say, if you look at the roster, there's only like a game or two behind or ahead of Indiana for the sixth worst record in the league. And so there's a, there's a world in which we, even though we're trying, we accidentally tank into, into getting a good pick. Yeah, that's true. But Indiana will actively shut things down. Like they're yes, a franchise yeah. that knows what what they need to. Yeah, do. you probably didn't catch too much of the Pistons Pacers game from yesterday. Oh yeah, but the starting lineups were getting into that like Just... offensive range. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, all right, that's a wrap for us. Before we go, do you have a final four pick? Like which teams are you starting to look at? It? I don't even know who's in which bracket. So I, I'll give you my champion, but I won't. I don't even know how to pick a final four. I don't know yet, man. I because uh, I don't want to go chalk. I don't, you know. Houston, Kansas, all these teams have flaws. I really wanted to go UCLA. I think UCLA could have won it if they had Jalen Clark, um, who was their best defensive player, very good on offense too. With him gone with an Achilles injury, I don't think they'll make it. So I, I'm not sure. I've got to go through my bracket, but I think this year I'm going to have some fun with it. I, I usually go a little bit chalk. I get conservative. I think this year I'm going to break it open. So I have to do my research okay. and figure out who that is but i like it um i think the chalk pick for me is alabama i love brandon miller despite the off-court stuff let's just say like as a player on the court i'm really big fan of his game and i like what i've seen from them this 
upset pick is probably the least upset type pick of all time, but it's Duke yeah. coming in as a five seed, which was very surprising, but they're streaking at the right time, won their last nine games, won the ACC tournament. So I kind of like how they're playing. It seems like they were underseeded. A lot of Duke fans seem upset by that. Uh, maybe they make a run. They could. We shall see. They could, or, um, you know, I don't know, man. Some of these teams, like Alabama, I just always have find it hard to trust these SEC teams. Um, Texas looks really good this year, but every year I put Texas like in my Elite Eight, Final Four, and they always flame out. And and I know year to year the coaches change, the players completely change, but some of these programs I just I can't trust, and it makes me hard to pick them. So Alabama, SEC, that's one that I'm not going to pick to win it. I'll have to look somewhere else. Maybe Gonzaga, they're. They're not no. as good as they were in the years before. But Don't give me the SEC thing and then pick Gonzaga. Because, okay, but Gonzaga's changed the narrative the last couple of years. They either get to the That's final true, four or the, they win the, the title. The one time they got to the final, they got absolutely smacked by Baylor. Yeah, yeah, true. Didn't they win a title? They didn't, no. Oh, you're right. Okay. So, so maybe that's not a good example. But anyways, I... I gotta... You know, I do that thing where I do... I read a bunch of articles, I listen to a bunch of pods, and just kind of... I end up doing groupthink because everyone listens to the same stuff and picks the same upsets. And so it's like, mm-hmm. how different are you really being? But we'll see. Totally. All right. That is a wrap for us. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops on all major podcast platforms. Please follow us on social media. We will talk to you next week. Oh.